0: Well, Brother Maxwell, I guess you've said the stuff you were going to say, right? You know, Mark and I have a couple of places where there was a real pivot in our lives. It was great to see God work and uh, the impact that he has had on young people, not only here, but at Victory Christian School. You know, it's just serving God is great you know you just rejoice in it. and brother bob I'm glad to have you here I get to thinking about people here by the way you get to thinking about people who are gone they're they're out but then others that just you know they're not here uh, the burden just doesn't stop you know why because this is ministry and I know you all feel I'm thinking about people that came into the auditorium this morning in tears because there's burdens. So that never stops. When we come here, may this place truly be a house of prayer, praying for each other, but also encouraging each other. So good to have you here. Good to have kids here. I tell you what, let them them make noise. Have at it. And now, you older ones, don't don't make noise you know don't snore you know <laughs> so brother you are welcome to come on up it's good to have you here
1: Pastor Rogers called, I guess it's probably a couple months ago maybe, and he said, would you like to come and speak for our 65th church anniversary, and he named the date. I thought, oh, that's my birthday. (laughs) And so I thought, well, what better place to spend my birthday than here? And I sincerely mean that. And to come back to uh, to the church that, that really was my church during my really formative growing up years. Uh, we moved here in '64 and went to Highlands High School uh, from '60. Eight through 71. Um, my dad actually stopped pastoring here, I think in 75 or 76. But um, I thought, well, what a what a special place to be on my birthday. And as I said to y'all last night, I feel my part of my heart is still here. Yes. And I just I pray for your pastor every week pray for brother Schmidt every week and I am so thrilled uh, to see you to know that there's light coming from Faith Baptist Tabernacle uh, shining the shining Jesus to this to this really dark community so thank you uh, thank you for your Kindness to your pastor and his wife thank you for your kindness to the white sides I think some churches don't even realize that that's really a privilege uh, to be able to say thank you and to say it in a way that's more than just thank you you know true thankfulness is, has some tangibility to it and so may the Lord bless you for being a blessing to your pastor, wonderful, godly man. He's the type of man that I would love to call my pastor. So may the Lord bless you, brother. And, uh, you know, you talk about the fruit from this ministry and uh, how men like uh, Evangelist Schmidt and others who have been sent out from this ministry well I feel like I'm part of that fruit you know I, I feel like God called me when I was a part of we called it Highlands Baptist Church back in those days so you can put me on that list of men, God has called into the ministry from this church so praise the Lord and again I want to thank you for being here I want to thank the Pastor and Mrs. Rogers, for their love and kindness. Uh, The pastor's letting me drive his truck. I normally don't have a truck to drive, and so it's kind of a new experience for me to drive a truck. But it's a good truck, and it gets you where you need to be, and praise the Lord for that. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for your happy birthday. It's good to have a, a dear friend of mine from high school Mark Jones. Mark went to Rio Linda. I went to Highlands High, but we um, we grew up together, and it's so good to see you, Mark. Lord bless you. Thank you. Well, I want to begin by saying our older son, I have three children. Adrian is our daughter, and then two boys, Drew and Anthony, and eight grandchildren. So I want to if I want to talk about anyone, I want to talk about our grandchildren. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to mention Andrew, uh, who lives in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. <clears throat> and every year, the city of Portsmouth, sponsors a 10K race which draws about a thousand runners. Well, Andrew likes to run. He likes to participate. In the race, and by the way, he ran that race yesterday. And he texted and said that he ran under 40 minutes. So I don't know if you know much about a 10K, but if you can run, as a, almost a 40-year-old, a 10K under 40 minutes, that's good. In fact, that's that's really good. But he was competing uh, with the serious runners, um, he, when he runs, when he does ever anything, he takes it very seriously. Well, a couple of years ago, while he was running in this, again, this particular race with about 40 of the lead runners uh, through the city, a random man who looked very confident and very official uh, pointed the runners in a different direction. Well, these elite runners followed his leading Only to find out it was the wrong way. This man had directed these runners off the course, off the path. And of course, consequently, none of them finished well. You know, to to run well, to finish well, you gotta stay on the what? On the course. And Andrew and these other runners failed to do that. Well, we too, as Christians, are placed in the race called the race of life. And yes, we have on our running bib, a racing bib with a number tag, and the start gun has fired. But there are random people along the way giving us wrong advice and pointing us in the wrong direction. Well, today I want to show you the right course as we learn from those who have successfully run the race of life. And above all, our primary example to follow is Jesus Christ, the victor in life and the victor in death. If you'd have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want us to read verses one through three. And from these verses, we'll have our outline. And uh, as I read the verses, I'll let you know what our outline will be. So the writer of Hebrews begins by saying, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and this is our first. Point, our first imperative, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So, imperative number one is we are to lay aside all hindrances and all sin. And then the text goes on to say, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So, imperative or point number two is we are to run with patience. And then Verse 3 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our third imperative is we are to look unto Jesus. And then imperative or point number four is we are to consider Christ. Verse 3, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now keep in mind there's a progression here. To begin running well this race of life, and if you're a Christian, you're all in the race. You're all in the race. You don't have a choice. You're in the race. So the question is, how are you going to run the race, okay? So first of all, we are to lay aside all hindrances and sin. And then after we've done that or as we're doing that, then we are to run with patience or endurance. And as we're doing that, to keep us running, we're to look unto Jesus. And as we look to him, we're to consider him, consider how he lived the example he is for us let's pray father thank you so much for your love thank you for your faithfulness thank you for the privilege you've given me to stand in this pulpit this is where my dad stood this is where other men of god have stood this is where brother pastor rogers stands and faithfully proclaims your truth week after week after week. For 32 years, he and his wife, Bernie, have been faithful to this ministry. Thank you for them. And Lord, might even their example to us be an example that we follow even this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 12.1 begins with a statement, Wherefore, or we could say therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now let's first identify these witnesses. And of course they are all the faithful, faith-filled saints just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking here Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. I would dare say these are among the who's who of the Old Testament in this cloud of witnesses who have successfully completed their race. Now we need to ask, well, what is the present role of these Old Testament saints? Are they spectators Uh, in heaven stands cheering us on as we did a few weeks ago at our granddaughter's track meet up in Maryland. Well, the Greek word for witnesses does not mean spectators. Rather, it gives us our English word martyr, which tells us that these heroes of the faith, many of whom gave their lives For God's cause are not witnessing us as we run this race. Rather, they are witnessing to us. Do you see the difference? They aren't witnessing us, but they are witnessing to us. They are testifying to us that the life of faith and endurance, even in the face of martyrdom, is the only way to run the only way to truly live the Christian life, the only life that is truly worth it. And they testify that the God who saw them through their many dangers, toils, and snares can now see us, can now see the Christian through his or her life's journey for he promises in Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the river rivers, they will not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Friends, when we run this race, we have... God watching over us. We have God looking after us. We have God taking care of us. And that's what the witnesses, the martyrs of Hebrews 11, want to convey to us. This race of life is not a solo race. It's you and God. And when you have God running this race with you, you could run it successfully. And that's what these, these martyrs, these witnesses, are testifying to us. And so what an example these witnesses are. And how their testimony motivates us. For there is nothing more encouraging than the testimony of someone who has victoriously blazed the path before us. And you can now say, This is the way to run by faith. What God has done for me, He can and will do for you. Which brings us to imperative or point number one to follow the example of these witnesses to run well, we must first obey the imperative to lay aside every weight every hindrance and the sin which so easily besets us. Now the injunction to lay aside used here is not a picture of a runner carefully removing his sweats, placing them in some secure place until his race is finished. Rather it is saying throw off, radically strip yourself of everything that would hinder you, impede you, and slow you down, and do it now. Get serious now about your running. Don't let anyone or anything prevent you from running well. And spiritually speaking, the writer here is referencing a double divestment. First, we are to throw off every weight. Now, what are these weights that we are to discard? Well, they are any encumbrance, any load that detours us, that delays us. They are anything that prevents us from doing our best in the race God has for us. And a hindrance can be a friend, an association, a habit. A pleasure. They can become weights when they become more important than God. When they come between us and God. When they thwart our spiritual growth by dampening our enthusiasm for the things of God. Now today we need to ask ourselves, this wasn't the case when I was growing up, but it surely is the case now. Does social media cool my passion for Christ? Does it make me apathetic about spending time with him? Would I rather rather check my Facebook account or my Twitter account or my TikTok account rather than spend time with the Lord, rather than read my Bible. You know, when I travel, and I travel quite often, but you look around the airport, and it seems like 99% of people are looking at their what? Their phone. People today have forgotten that there are other people around them. I mean, it's it's almost embarrassing. People don't even communicate with the person next to them. Their communication is with their phone. Friends, I'm not saying because you have a phone, you need to throw it away. But I think all of us, and I include myself, I think we need to ask ourselves, how important is this phone to me? Is it a weight that's so easily besetting me? What did Paul say? And again, I'm not saying you get rid of your phone. I'm just saying you need to have a spiritual phone. You need to have a spirit-controlled phone. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not uncertainly so fight. I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. And I bring it into subjection. And I think we could substitute the word phone there. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should become a cast away or disapproved. I know that my, this, this phone business might to some people sound trite, but I think it's serious business. I really do. A winning athlete, one author writes, does not choose between the good and the bad. bad he chooses between the better and the best. But not only are we to throw aside, off, throw off the weights, these, those things which hinder us, we are to divest ourselves of the sin which so easily besets us. Now every sin certainly entangles us. For example, covetousness, envy, criticism, laziness, hatred, lust, ingratitude, bitterness. Pride. They all are sin. They all are dangerous. They all attack our souls. They all affect our ability to run. Friends, sin debilitates us and sin will ultimately destroy us. There is no innocent sin. There is no sin that is not filled with cancer. There is no sin that's benign. We are to, we are to reckon ourselves dead to what? Sin. Dead to sin, but alive to God. But this text is telling us that there is one sin in particular. The definite article "v" is used here. The sin that most easily entangles us. And friends, that is the sin of unbelief. Which means when you and I do not believe God and his word, we sin. And consequently, we go nowhere in our Christian life. We make no true progress. Friends, faith is so vital. Faith is that vital otherwise we will be left at the starting block the scriptures tell us that we are purified by faith we are established by faith we are justified by faith we are sanctified by faith we are counted righteous by faith we have access to god by faith We also are to walk by faith. We are to continue in the faith. We are to put on the shield of faith. We are to overcome the world by faith. One of our recent memory verses at Westside was 1 John 5, 4. And whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Our faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, our faith. Honestly, all these reminders tell us without faith it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. And yet how faithless we are. No wonder it is It's crucial to vigorously stand against the sin of faithlessness. Honestly, there's no obedience to God without first a living faith in God. What we believe or don't believe about God affects everything in our life. It determines how we live. It determines how we or what we give. You find someone that really has their faith in God and they will be generous with God, brother. They'll never have to worry about a man, a woman whose faith is truly in God tithing. I mean, it's going to come automatically. They're going to trust the Lord. They're going to believe him. Faith in God determines how we walk, how we talk. A small view of God will yield a superficial, saltless, anemic Christian life. And so how necessary, how needed, needful it is to be in the Word, to be under as you're under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God that comes from your pastor. And why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God every day you need to be in the word of god and so we are first implored to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us which brings us to imperative number 2 like the witnesses in chapter 11 we are we are to run the race that is set before us run the race the word race in the Greek gives us our English word agony which tells us this race is not a thing of passive luxury rather it is a demanding, grueling and even at times agonizing experience especially something that requires our utmost and self-discipline. Determination perseverance I remember my running days Mark and I ran together for a time ran at Don Julio and then at Highlands High race days were especially tough for I knew that the race that I would run that day would demand all my strength all my will and it always did Because after crossing the finish line, I was totally spent. I literally gave it my all. Which tells me the race of life, the Christian life, is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. In fact, it's hard. If you're going to live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be run, (laughs) It's tough. It's tough. It's demanding. It requires discipline. It's not for those who want to sit in the stands, eat popcorn, hot dogs, and drink a Coke. You can do that at a ballpark, but friends, you can't do that in your spiritual race. In God's army, we never hear the word at ease. To stand still is to forfeit the prize. We are to run. We are to continue to run. And we see that specifically in the word patience. <clears throat> the Greek word used here means endurance, it means a determination, a refusal to be diverted. The Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. Rather, it is a marathon requiring staying, power, a steady resolve, the will to keep on going, to keep on running, to be like your pastor who, who has kept on pastoring for 32 years. It means when everything else in us wants to slow down, wants to give up, wants to quit, we continue to push on. I think of that verse in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, what? In the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, Your pastor and his precious wife, their labors for 32 years have not been in vain because they've served the Lord. I think of when we can then run with patience, we could say, Lord, as my days... So shall my strength be. I can do all things. I know we quote Romans four or Philippians four thirteen so often, but when you're running this race of life and you're running it by laying aside the weights, running with endurance, you can say, Lord, I can do all things through Christ, who is strengthening. Me. Which brings us to our third imperative, and that is to run well, we must look unto Jesus. As Moses did, as all the other faithful witnesses did, we must focus on him. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. The word look in the Greek means to look away from everything else, everyone else. We don't compare ourselves to others. We don't compare our course that we're running to others as they're running their course. Rather, our focus is exclusively, deliberately on Jesus. Jesus. We look full in his wonderful face. And to look means to trust, to believe. Now I'm sure you recall when the snake-bitten, dying Israelites looked to that uplifted serpent of brass on the pole, they were what? They were healed. And so how needful it is for us to look to Jesus For after all, he is the author, he is the originator of our faith. He initiates and he bestows all faith. Therefore, he is the justifier of all who believe. And further, we need to look to Jesus, for he is the perfecter, he is the finisher of our faith. He is the one who carries our faith through to completion. He is the sanctifier of all who believe, which means that our intense and continual look, our ongoing attitude is one of faith in Christ. And Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He is, he ran his race enduring the cross. Now please understand, Jesus did not regard the cross itself as a joy. There wasn't anything joyful about the cross. Nothing joyful about that cup that Jesus drank. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, He asked the Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. But he was able to brave this unparalleled ordeal because he understood the good that would come from it. He saw you and me rescued and redeemed. He heard you and me sing, the chains that bound me no longer hold me. Because of Calvary, I stand redeemed redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. And that music, those words, echoed through his heart. And he said, there are people at Faith Baptist Tabernacle that one day will be saved because I am enduring the cross. Aren't we glad he endured the cross? I know this might sound trite, but you and I would not be here unless he endured the cross. You know, I think sometimes for those of us who have been Christians all of our lives, some of this truth just goes over our heads. We don't even take time to meditate on it anymore. But he endured the cross. And then he also despised the shame. One of the most prominent elements of the torture of the cross was its extreme hellish, hellish shame that Jesus willingly bore. All shameful mocking and beating, a shameful robe, a shameful crown, shameful insults as he continued to pray while hanging on that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then, and this is our last imperative, as we look unto Jesus, we are to consider Jesus. Verse 3 says, who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And what was this? The word contradiction simply means hostility. What was this hostility? Well, think of the members of Jesus' own synagogue in Nazareth. His countrymen wanted to kill him. (laughs) These were people he grew up with. These were people he worshipped with. They wanted to kill him. Further, the religious leaders of his day constantly tried to trap him and embarrass him. There's one thing that you and I do not like to be, and that's embarrassed. And then they lied about him. And they said he was a drunkard and a glutton. Those are two things you don't want to be called, brother. A glutton and a drunkard. We think of Skid Row when we think of a drunkard. And also our Lord was betrayed by one of his own disciples. And finally his own people cried out against him. And I think these, there were people in this group of people, this, this congregation of people whom he had given sight to and healing to and and perform miracles for them, cry out against him, crucify him, crucify. We'd rather have Barabbas than this man to rule over us. And so you thought you had a hard day. <laughs> what hostility. Again, we're to consider Christ. Christ. Remember, we are to contemplate the meekness, the steel-like strength that Jesus maintained in the face of all of his enemies who continually sought his death, lest we become wearied and faint in our minds. The next time you feel like giving up on your Christian walk, consider Christ. Amen. Look to him. And we won't become discouraged when we consider that Jesus is presently sitting at his Father's right hand, the place of honor and glory interceding for you and me as we run. And what is happening as he's interceding for us. Well, he's providing us grace to help in our many, many, many times of need. And in this grace, he is our example, for he successfully ran his race. He fulfilled his Father's will. He became that Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And not only is he, as he's sitting at the Father's right hand, providing us the grace that we need, our example, but he is our enabler for he gives power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. And we can exclaim from 2 Corinthians 12, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities That the power of Christ may rest upon me. (coughs) Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities and in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, because of His grace, I am strong. You know, the times I feel the strongest is when physically and spiritually I feel the weakest because I look to him. And so in closing, to run well our race of life and again follow the progression, we must, number one, divest ourselves of all weights, all hindrances, and all sin. Remember, sin will master you or you will master sin. Are you mastering sin by the power of the Spirit and the armor of God? One of our men recently told me that he prays on the armor of God. Lord, I pray For example, that you will put on me right now the breastplate of righteousness. And then we must run with patience, perseverance. Are you persevering or are you ready to throw in the towel? (laughs) And then our... As we're running, we must focus on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. So where is your focus today? Is it on your phone? Is it on Jesus? And finally, we must consider Jesus, how he lived amidst all the opposition he faced, which tells us our running must be Christ-centered Jesus must be the measure of all things. We are to keep running toward Christ. We are to run, as Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you look to Jesus, you keep your eyes on him you consider him, you will keep running. With the result, such a vision, such a looking into Jesus will ensure for us faith's beginning and its ending. And so don't let random people get you off course. Don't let people around you point you in the wrong direction. then you and I can say with Paul and the faithful witnesses, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I remember well when I ran. You know, when the main thing that kept me running was that medal, was that ribbon, was that encouragement, pat on the back from the coach. One day, those of us who have run well, this race of life, will not only receive a crown of righteousness, but will receive a well done from Jesus himself. It's one thing for a coach to say well done. It's another thing for Jesus to say well done. Brother, he's going to say that. Yeah.